All right. Welcome back to another edition of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It is just before 6 p.m. on Wednesday, April 27th. Joined once again by my regular co-host. That would be one Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. Carlos, thanks for coming back on to talk a little football with me. Spring football has been over for 10 days. And the big story really now is all these big NIL deals that uh, Miami is signing with its basketball players. And uh, I caught up with John Ruiz this week uh, after he was able to help Miami land Nigel Pack, the top, one of the top transfer players in the portal out of Kansas state, a point guard that uh, is, you know, I think he shot for almost 44% from three last season, average 17 points. He's coming in basically to replace uh, Charlie Moore and, and then, you know, uh, yesterday, Tuesday, they end up landing the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year uh, in North Chad O'Meal. And um, it, it's been a great run, plus the Cavender Twins, right, for the women's basketball team. So basketball team has really cashed in big here uh, on some big-time recruits. NIL obviously plays a factor in all that. Um, and then the football team gets Daryl Jackson, uh, a standout defensive tackle out of Maryland uh, yesterday as well. Uh, a kid who who also signed an NIL deal with uh, Life Wallet and John Ruiz. So NIL playing a big factor. May 1st is coming. Uh, Sunday is, uh, I guess, the deadline for everyone to enter the transfer portal if you want to be eligible for next season. So there's going to be some movement here in the coming days. A lot to go on. But the real headline is that I actually got an invite to get on a plane again, Carlos. And I mean, well... <laughs> On, on a nicer one, I would say. I mean, not that the one that you got invited on earlier was bad, but this one seems to be like top shelf, the highest of high ends. This is like a, a house, a high end house in the sky from what I, you've shown me. I, I've totally fumbled the first opportunity to get on a, a private jet with Mario Cristobal when he was out uh, recruiting Cormani McLean a couple months ago, uh, basically there to speak to the Lakeland Lake Gibson football team, including McLean. Mario asked me as we were leaving, do you want to jump on the plane with us? I panicked. I said, I've got this rental car. I, what do I do? You panicked, um, you peed down your leg. You weren't an athlete. And I didn't, and I didn't do it. And, and my bosses admonished me for it. They made fun of me. They said, what an idiot. You're stupid. Get on the plane next time. Who cares about the rental car? Now I have another conflict um, because I'm supposed to fly out next week on May 4th to Phoenix at 10 AM to fly out and, um, attend the athletics college football meetings that are going to be out there from the fourth through the sixth. We're getting all our writers together from across the country, Bruce Feldman, Stuart Mandel, all the guys who work at the athletic, uh, the place that, that obviously employs me. And I got to be there. I'm going to be speaking on a panel about beat writing. And of course, today in my conversation with, with John Rees, he says, Hey, we, we've got this beautiful new plane. We're going to use it to go pick up the Cavender twins in California next week. Then we're going to stop in Atlanta, pick up Nigel Pack, and then fly back here to South Florida. And, uh, you know, we're kind of recording this documentary. It's going to be really cool. Why don't you come be a part of it? And, of course, my flight is at, at 10 a.m. May 4th. They're leaving on the 3rd, coming back the 4th. So now i got to change my flight. But what do I do, Carlos? I have to get on the plane, right? I have to go. Listen, that's a tough one, man. I mean, uh Will he employ you with Life Wallet as his personal beat writer if you get fired by the athletic for not attending the uh, the event you're supposed to attend? Right. If he says, yeah, then cool. You know what? Jump on the plane. But uh, 
at the end of the day, man, you, you got to do what you got to do to keep feeding the family. And I don't think jumping on the plane with Ruiz is the uh, the way to go. I mean, I would love to. I could sub in for you if you like. I can just jump in there and I, I can and just have a, tap a you notepad in. and a pencil and act like I'm taking notes and just be doodling <laughs> the entire time having free drinks. <laughs> I'm hoping I can go. He said there's going to be space. He invited me to come chronicle it. I, I wrote the article, of course, uh, more than two months ago now, I think, on on. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke and, and, you know, guys filming a commercial and the whole thing. And today uh, the Herald did a nice job. Uh, Michelle Kaufman, who covers the basketball team and Barry Jackson, of course, uh, my ex-colleagues wrote a, wrote a big article or two, two articles really on, on just everything that Ruiz has done here in the last week. But he, you know, this guy has spent now close to $5 million helping the university land some of these recruits. Um, I actually did an interview on Monday with Nigel Pack, um, that I want to make sure our listeners tune into at the end of this pod here that we're recording now. Um, we talked for about 20 minutes. His agent helped us get, you know, helped him get on the phone. He's in Atlanta training. He had declared for the draft. He's not going to get to Miami until um, the classes sort of begin, which I think it's not till May 23rd, the summer, the summer semester. But, um, you know, I, the whole point is like, I, I just, this, this NIL thing, everybody in the country, that's all they're talking about with Miami. Look, they've got this Ruiz guy. He's he's helping them get all these players. But yet when I talked to Nigel Pack and when I talked to uh, the representatives um, for Norchad, uh, who is Art Pelin Alvarez, by the way, the same guy who uh, was coaching Guillermo Diaz back in the day um, and Miami him. Christian. Right. Yep. Miami Christian, when he, Jose Juan Barea, way back when I was first becoming a high school writer. So Pelin and I go way back. But the whole point is like everybody's talking about money, money, money. And yet a lot of these kids and I don't you know. Uh, they, they say they're coming because of the basketball, right? They're coming because of the football. They're coming because of the coaches. But still, you see all these fans from the Gators, uh, Florida State, uh, you know, all across the country. Oh, Miami's buying players. Miami's buying players. I mean, Ruiz is doing it legally by the book. You're a lawyer yourself. I mean, if any of this was against the rules, I think he would have gotten in trouble by now, right? Well, I think it's it's the lack of rules that that help him operate because, as you know, it's kind of like the wild wild west when it comes to the NIL stuff. Um, so, as long as the schools are adhering to their state regulations, there's really nothing the NCAA can do. So, it's illegal in Florida to do this. The only thing that's not legal is for the school to make direct payments to athletes at this point, right? So, this is a a third party, an entity outside of the university, not directly affiliated with the University of Miami. Uh, he's created Life Wallet for this specific purpose. You know, he's got this great product and he's he's incorporating the NILs through LifeWallet to get these kids paid. Um, and as he said in the past, he's he's not only getting these guys paid, but he's he's making them involved in the LifeWallet business by promoting it, by actually being sponsors and being, uh, you know, the faces of LifeWallet and helping them actually develop skill sets as far as communications concerned, uh, working in commercial TV, things of that nature. And also giving back to the community, so which he's mentioned is very important. So, you know, this isn't your normal, you know, hand this kid a suitcase full of money, you're coming to the University of Miami, things that have been going on for the last, you know, 30, 40 years. This is something where a guy with, obviously, tons of resources, more resources than you and I will ever have in our life combined a uh, hundred times over, has decided to do this as a philanthropic project for the University of Miami and the athletic pro program while incorporating into a business that he is profiting from um, and try and help these kids not only get paid, but also develop life skills. And instead of people cheering it for the positive end of it of, you know what, he's not just cutting checks. He's actually trying to get these guys to work for this money. Um, people are shitting all over it because that's what people who are 
jealous too. And I'll say this. I mean, he's he's following everything to the book. I mean, I, I went down, filmed the commercial, talked to a lot of the players. Everybody is showing up to these require every every other Friday or every couple Fridays. Um, you know, these guys come in, they film commercials for the company. Uh, they kind of put in their their work to get to get these paychecks that uh, they're getting from him. So, um, you know, uh, he's a lawyer. <laughs> he knows the law. He knows the rules. He's working hand in hand with the university. And the guy's uh, not stupid, man. The guy wouldn't become a billionaire inventing this software, putting together this company that he put together that's landed him all this money. And he was successful before this this billion dollar venture. Um, you don't become a billionaire by being stupid and uh, not knowing and, and not knowing the rules. And you don't become a successful attorney by not knowing the rules. Now, would you do you toe the line? Do you sort of, you know, sit on the fence between legality and illegality sometimes? Well, hey, as long as there's no law, no bright line that stops you from doing what you're doing, um, they're going to have to then come up with a rule to stop you from doing it. And until that rule is in place. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, um, you know, he not only is he following the rules in terms of, you know, the, the paperwork and everything else, but like he, he, t- he told me today and, and I, he said this, I guess, in Barry Jackson's article is that ultimately he doesn't really get involved with these kids until they're committing or close to committing. And, you know, when they know that the university is, is really after these guys through articles, through what people are writing and what's being said on Twitter and so forth. And, you know, there's nothing illegal about having a conversation uh, saying, hey, we have these deals available to you. I've talked to other NIL lawyers about this uh, in the past um, and and asked, you know, how do you sort of operate in this gray area? And ultimately, the rule is inducement, right? You can't induce somebody to come, but that doesn't mean you can't talk about NIL and say, hey, we'll work on something for when you get here. And, and once and now that he sort of has this reputation of signing these kids to big deals, uh, including Nigel Pack to, you know, a $400,000 a year deal. Um, it, you know, it, it sort of recruits itself at this point because everybody knows what Miami has going here. And, um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how things sort of develop in the future and, and moving ahead. But I, I just think, uh, you know, for everybody out there who's skeptical about this, I waited, I, I waited to see if this was for real myself because I was skeptical. I said, you know, is this, is when when does the other shoe drop, right? When when does the NCAA come in and stop all this? But he's he's been operating now for a long time. Uh, he's got over a hundred uh, and I think ten pending, uh, hundred and ten deals total. Half of them, which are pending, uh, sixty over sixty players that are already getting paid uh, at Miami's athletic program overall in all different sports, uh, totaling more than five million dollars. So um, it's operating. The kids are working. They're producing. And like you said, um, it's working out for Miami. It's just, uh, but I, but I think this is going to be a topic that never ends, right? It's never ends until the NCAA uh, decides to sort of weigh in here and sort of implement more legislation over it. And look, what happened yesterday? Mark Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, is stepping down. I don't know when or if things will ever change. I think this is this is probably just the world that we're going to be living in from now on. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's essentially what was going on in the shadows, stepping out into the light and um, the people that were doing it in the shadows and getting away with it aren't happy that it's come out to light because now they don't have the competitive advantage. Now, it's still creating a competitive disadvantage to schools that don't have the resources or the monetary backing that the University of Miami is currently benefiting from. Right. And I think also at the same time, I don't think it's just about checks, like you're saying. Obviously, the money helps. Right. No kid is going to say, no, I'm going to turn away that 
$800,000 deal and go play somewhere else that isn't paying me anything at all because I like the school better. Generally, you know what? It's an opportunity. The kid's going to take it, but it also has to fit in with his plans and what his long-term vision is and also with the university itself. So you're not going to come to the University of Miami if it's a doormat program, right? You're not going to take 800K from a program that's going 1-15 in in conference every year and not making the NCAA tournament because that does nothing to raise your NBA profile. Um, You know, that doesn't the same thing with the Twins. They're not coming here to miss the tournament and finish fourth in the conference and, and end up just playing in the NIT. They're coming here to make the NCAA tournament to raise their profile as basketball players and try and get into the WNBA. And the guys that Mario is targeting, the guys that are coming down here on these NIL deals, are guys that are um, you know, elite athletes, guys that have an eye towards the NFL. So the vision, the vision long, is a long-term vision. It's not a short-term vision for these guys. Yeah, they want to get paid now, but their whole idea is that they want to make it to the next level and get paid for the rest of their life, life-changing money. Right, money that will change their lives and the lives of their families and create generational wealth, which is the goal ultimately, not to cash in a check here and there, blow it and be gone. So I think it's it's a combination of things. It has to be, yes, the backing of the NIL, but also has to be the the infrastructure in place in the athletic department for the teams that are bringing in these players that can give them what they need for their long term future, for their success, not at the college level, but at the next level. Yeah, Um from a basketball perspective, and, and I mentioned we're going to have the interview with Nigel Pack uh, at the end of uh, our conversation here for for our uh, listeners. But, um, you know, Nigel, when I when I spoke to him Monday, a lot of his conversation was just getting the opportunity to run Miami's wide open offense, the way that Coach L um, allows these guys to really flow and have you know success in running the offense. And he just wants to show teams that he can play point guard. Last year at Kansas State, he was a two. This year, you know, if he's going to make it to the NBA, being six foot, uh, he's got to be able to show he can handle the rock. And he's and he did that his first year at Kansas State. Now this coming season, uh, you know, his his goal is just basically to be a, a great three point shooter and create for others the way uh, sort of way that uh, Charlie Moore did. Um, and, and then as far as uh, Omier, um, Norchad Omier, the, the Sunbelt Player of the Year, um, you know, he's a guy who really didn't face the basket much. Um, his first two years in college, he's coming here to play a little bit more facing the basket. That was from my conversation with, uh, Art Alvarez, his old, uh, coach at Miami prep. And, um, you know, he's the fourth best rebounder in the country last year. He's going to come in to six, seven big. So he's not extremely tall, but kind of has that Montrez Harold type, um, you know, defensive and rebounding ability. And he's going to try to show people he can shoot the ball too. Uh, he just didn't do a whole lot of that uh, last year. So, uh, you know, Coach L, you t- we talked about it in the last episode, you and I, that he was going to need to find some 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 good players here to replace what he had with that Elite Eight team. And I'll tell you, Reese, you know, he he went to the same basketball game I did in the middle of the year when, when he was, I think it was the North Carolina game. Miami blew out North Carolina at home. And um, he was there trying to get basketball players assigned. None of them did. Now he's got Isaiah Wong. Uh, he's got, you know, the two transfers. Um, and Jordan Miller, who have all signed. There's going to be more that are going to be signing NIL deals now as well. And by the way, for, for the people who are wondering about, you know, the international students, um, because of uh, the student visas that they come on, uh, they can't, you know, a kid like Omier, who's from Nicaragua, um, they can't necessarily profit uh, off their name, image, and likeness. Well, there is a loophole, and uh, Ruiz explained it to me. He <laughs> 
basically for him and Lou Hadley, who's also, I guess, part of uh, Life Wallet, um, they can go and film commercials in their home countries in, in Australia for Lou Hadley and obviously Amir for uh, Nic- in Nicaragua. And they're going to do that with these guys so they can pay them uh, and so that they can get some money for their work. Um, but as far as cars and all those kind of things here, they can't do it here in the United States. Now, that's not an NCAA law. That's just, a, you know, yeah, it's United, immigration law. That's an immigration law. But uh, so what ends up happening is because they're here on a student visa, they're not allowed to earn income in the United States because they don't work, have work uh, authorization here in the U.S. Correct. The only way for them to be able to earn money in the U.S. would be if they have a job um, at a company that matches their field of study and it's sort of on the job training. And there's a very limited amount of hours they can work within that position. So what they're doing is by flying them back to their home country um, is that they're earning income in their home country and they don't need work authorization because they're citizens of that nation. So, so long as they earn the income in that nation, they can be paid there and that's fine. And of course there's international banks. So, I mean, you could pay them in Nicaragua, they'll have that money in their chase account all over the world and they could use that here in the U S and although they can't get a car from somebody um, if they have money in their bank account, they can go out and purchase a car if they like. And, uh, you know, getting it at a reduced price is not against uh, the law. No, that's that is correct. Um, by the way, um, I'm looking here. Some of the spring awards for football that came out. There we go. The Commitment to Excellence Awards. Uh, I think this was uh, a few days ago or maybe the end of last week where Canes football put out um, they're, I guess, the top two players for the spring. Jafari Harvey, Tyler Van Dyke um, were the top two guys. I actually spoke to Jafari today for a story I'm working on. Uh, I was trying to look for some, some uh, of an interesting off the field angle with him. And this guy has like two pythons and he's got this, uh, this big monitor uh, lizard that's about four feet tall. And he was sending me videos of feeding them rats. <laughs> wow. So the dude and is like a, a reptile fan. Apparently. He's always, he's always been since he was young, but uh, anyway, Crocodile that's Jafari crocodile. Jafari. There you go. I love it. Yeah. He, interesting dude. I had, had a little conversation with him. We did a podcast with him back in February. Um, but anyway, um, I just had to share that because I, I talked to so many different people today. Obviously, the draft is tomorrow. Uh, it starts tomorrow with the first round, the NFL draft. And, you know, he, he's a guy that hasn't produced a lot here yet. Um, but he told me today, I think he had between seven and eight sacks uh, between the two scrimmages. The first two scrimmages. He didn't yeah, by th- all accounts, the, the coaches seem very excited about his performance in the spring so much. So they just they just told him, listen, just chill inside. Like you're not playing this game in the in the spring game. Yeah. And so, well, he he actually injured his shoulder, he told me, uh, in the practice right before uh the spring game. So that's what held him out. Um, so I had a little news on that. But he said he's gonna be fine. It it was more sort of precautionary. If he had to play a game, he would have played in the end. Uh, when you when you've got seven, eight sacks, and I think a lot of them came in the two minute stuff from what he was telling me, uh, a lot of the two minute drills. He feel, he said he feels so much better after the fourth quarter program. He's, he feels like he's made serious gains. I think that's great news for Miami, obviously. I mean, if you if you've got a guy uh, in Jafari Harvey who now in the fourth year, the light bulbs come on. He's going to be one of your leaders at the edge rusher position. You add a guy like Mitchell Gude, you get all these defensive tackles that they brought in. Uh, including this kid from Maryland, Daryl Jackson, who by all accounts, I mean, I, I've asked people in college football, how good is this Maryland kid? 
Uh, I, I had people, Big Ten people telling me, yeah, he's legit. He's going to be really good. 6'6", 300 pounds. And I know the Miami uh, coaching staff was doing cartwheels. And, and Florida and Florida State both upset that they didn't get this kid. So, uh, you know, with, with him and, and Leonard Taylor next to each other the next couple of years, I think it's going to it's really going to help Miami's pass rush because you're going to have two guys on the inside that, that just create nightmares for, for opponents. So. Mario, yeah, listen, going back to Javari Harvey, I think yeah. you made this point last last podcast is there, this team's going to be better just because they're getting better coaching. Just that yeah. in and of itself is going to create uh, better performance on the field. And like you're talking about with the fourth quarter program and Jafari clearly seeing the difference it's making in his body and in his ability to play. If you can solidify that one end spot with a guy like Jafari Harvey, who's flashed, we've seen his potential. I mean, that play he made against North Carolina where he took the ball, picked it off and ran it back, showed his level of athleticism. And he's shown you the ability here and there. If he could put that together for a full season and be that kind of player, be explosive off the edge, now you're feeling a lot more comfortable because you know Mitchell, Mitchell Goody on the other side can bring pressure. You've got a bunch of other defensive linemen you've brought in that you can rotate in and out and become a headache and a nightmare for people. And, I mean, you're going from a season where your defensive line uh, was one of your weakest points on the team um, and you didn't really have a big-time playmaker there to now having a bunch of guys who are either good or really good on that defensive line, and that you can bring in waves, and that's going to make a major difference up front, applying pressure, stopping the run, and more importantly, helping the linebackers and being able to flow freely to the ball. Because if you can't block those defensive linemen one-on-one, and the more times you got to occupy guys with double teams, the more those linebackers are going to be free to make plays. Yeah. Uh, Mario, his entire focus was was making Miami more dominant up front. And I know there's some critics out there saying, well, you're not going to do it through the transfer portal with castoffs. But I, I feel like he's gotten some quality guys that are ready to contribute right now and help you and not have to develop those younger guys. And, you know, I, I don't blame him. He's trying to win now. He's got an opportunity with a good quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, and, and some of the other guys that got behind him. Something else I wanted to talk about Sunday, I, I drove down to Coral Gables and I, and you know, this Carlos, because I was texting you, but I, I drove down there, met up with Malik Rozier, uh, former Canes quarterback who, uh, the only guy I will say for the last 20 years has won 10 games at Miami as a quarterback. Yeah. Um, I know he got criticized pretty harshly. We, we actually recorded an entire segment yesterday that I'm not going to put on the pod this week. I'm going to hold it till next week, but he was fabulous just talking about his experiences the last few years. He didn't, he obviously lost his starting job to Nikosi Perry, his final year at Miami and was dealing with injuries. Um, but we talked a lot about just the psychology of a, of a college football player and how tough it was for him dealing with social media and how, uh, you know, his teammates were, were grabbing his phone after, after games and deleting it you know, Twitter from him. So he wouldn't see these comments. Um, and I thought it was really eye opening. He's a guy now that, uh, you know, he spent a year working with Manny Diaz here at Miami, went to Georgia, was on the staff over there with, with Todd Hartley, helping him with the tight ends involved in the recruiting process. And he was involved with college football for three years and basically decided, look, I don't being a college assistant isn't for me. I prefer, um, you know, being involved in, uh, in, in coaching specifically quarterbacks and yeah, helping the private, them, coaching side. the private coaching side of it with, with quarterback country. And uh, so anyway, he's working with Tyler Van Dyke um, and Ja'Curry Brown and the kid who, who's out of Florida Memorial, their quarterback, Antoine Williams, 
Um, and so they were in the IPF Sunday. I, I went down there, hung out with them, watched them coach for a while. Then he went actually went and worked with some high school kids down the street at Armbrister Park over there in, in the Grove, um, including Fernando Mendoza, who's one of the top quarterbacks in the city. He's going to Cal or has a commitment to Cal. Um, he's going to be a senior at Miami Columbus this year. So um, I'll have some of that stuff to talk about in the near future. But what I took away ultimately, Carlos, is, you know, it, it's nice for him to be involved with Tyler uh, and, and to help him and Jacuri sort of um, improve their mental aspect of this, because as he mentioned next season, I mean, Tyler's going to have all kinds of different, you know, coaches are going to have an entire off season to prepare for him. And I, I, I thought it was really neat that Tyler is just so focused on um, improving his body improving the way that he throws the football structurally on the run. He knows that's such a big aspect of it. And I'll tell you, the guy is absolutely focused on being a first round pick after this year. Yeah. And there's no doubt he, it's, there's no doubt he has the first round talent. It's, it's putting it all together for an entire season and showing the NFL, you know, the scouts, this is what I can be. And my, I haven't hit my ceiling yet. And I think it's important that he's, he recognizes that he still has a ways to go and that there's things he needs to work on and build upon and that he's he's embracing that, which which is the kind of leadership that you want at that position. I mean, you want that from every player, but especially at your quarterback position, who's the leader of your football team and your, your offense. And that Tyler has that sort of self-awareness that he needs to get better and he needs to keep pushing himself to keep projecting towards what he wants in the future. And not only that, but also to help his team win is excellent. And I think it's also important that Malik Rozier is helping him and Ja'Curry, not just from a technical standpoint, but like you're saying, from a mental standpoint, to let them know, what it's like down here when shit isn't going right, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when you're the target of criticism. Because mm-hmm. right now, Tyler's, Tyler's the, the golden boy. Tyler's been writing nothing but great press and praise ever since he got the starting job, right? He's been performing well. He's been doing a great job. And everybody's been on the hype train. But what happens that first game that maybe he throws under 50%, throws a touchdown, three picks, and they eke out a win, but they were on the border of maybe losing because he didn't perform as well. So then the tides turn quickly. We know how this fan base can be. And really like any college football fan base can be when things don't go right. So I think it's important that Tyler understands from somebody who's done it before and been there before at this university specifically, how things can be and to prepare him mentally for that down the road. And Jakuri too, he needs to learn that as well. But I think it's also a, one more thing. I think it's, it's very telling that uh, the young guy, Jakuri Brown is out there getting work as well, because that shows you what kind of guy he is too. He's not just coming in as a young recruit saying, all right, I'm the third string quarterback. I don't have to do anything right now. I don't have to worry about it. It's not my time. No, he's working and building and getting better as well. And and I'll say this, um, you know, Malik, I asked him, have you had a conversation yet with Frank Ponce? And he said, no, but, you know, they know each other. And I, I can tell you from watching them firsthand for that hour and a half that they were working together inside the IPF that he would ask the kids, "How? what is Frank showing you? What? How does he want you to do this? Whether it's a, a, the three-step drop, a five-step, five-step drop, whatever it is. He said, and they would tell him, hey, this is how he wants to do this. Okay. And that's how he would teach them. He wasn't trying to change anything, um, you know, specifically for Tyler, just so I can share these notes. Uh, and, and it'll be in a story at some point next week. But um, one of the things Tyler said to me as we were walking out of there is, you know, he's, he's watched a lot of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and the way that they are able to use torque, um, you know, and their upper tor- torso when, they, when their legs are, you know, they can't sort of plant and throw and they just have to use the torque of their upper body to get rid of the football and, and get it to where it needs to go. That's what he's focused on learning. So he's, he's already working on an upper level of thought process, elite process of, uh, of, of throwing, just throwing the football and getting it where you need to go. 
And I was just, I mean, I was impressed watching him do that. And I think most people who watched Tyler last year said, okay, he can run, he can escape the pocket, right? He's not just a statue back there. But I, I do agree with him that if he is going to take that next step and become an elite NFL caliber quarterback, uh, throwing better on the run is the one aspect of his game that, that you look at and say he could get better at that. Yeah, and he needs to do he, He's looking at it from the perspective also of what makes Aaron Rodgers special, what makes Tom Brady special. Um, you know, on the field, what they do a lot is they keep plays alive. They escape the pocket not to pick up five, six yards on a, on a run. They escape the pocket to try and find somebody breaking open down the field and make a big play. And you need to be able to throw off platform and use torque, like you're saying, to use your upper body when you can't plant those legs and get that lower body involved in the throw to be able to do that when you're trying to continue to play on the run. And also getting back to the thing you were talking about with Tyler, things changing this upcoming season, it's going to be more difficult because now it's not a short week, right? Where they're preparing for them. You know, the teams before only had like a week or two of film. Uh, you know, the first couple of teams didn't have any film on them to, to prepare for. You know, Florida State was a little bit more prepared. You saw that in their game plan. And teams now are going to have the entire you know, eight game run or whatever it was that he had as a starting quarterback to look back at and see what he did well, what he did wrong, uh, what bothers him, what makes him sort of get out of sync and try and throw that at him every game and then adjust it to try and even bother him even more. So I think Tyler being aware of that and Malik really preaching that to him is going to be a huge difference because a lot of guys will come in there and they'll be like, all right, screw it. I can just be the same guy over and over again and it's going to work and it doesn't happen. And I think it's great that he's building towards not just becoming a better college quarterback, but becoming an elite quarterback in the NFL like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and seeing how those guys operate and how they work and trying to get himself to that level. I will say, and, and you know, I got this from a couple of different sources, that Miami is, is looking to upgrade the outside wide receiver position still. Um, it's not a knock necessarily on Jacoby George or uh, Keyshawn Smith. I just think the way Mario's looking at this picture is, I, I want to get to the championship and win a championship and, and they want a championship yeah. caliber guy. And I think those guys just aren't there yet, uh, you know, being the you know true number one wide receiver that you need on a championship team. They could develop into that. But I think given given a chance, if they can add another elite wide receiver through the portal the way they did last year with Charleston Rambo, um, you know, where he came in, and he was a clear cut number one guy um, after just a couple of games. I think they would prefer to do that. That said, uh, we'll see who who that guy is and who emerges. Uh, but I know that that is sort of, um, you know, the one position coming out of the spring after, you know, landing Daryl Jackson at D tackle, that that's sort of the other position left that they're still looking at to, to find. And, and I'll tell you what, and I think it's, it's interesting, you know, you can, can do another comparison now between Manny and Mario and see the way he's attacked the portal as opposed to the way Manny attacked the portal. Manny was plugging guys in here and there that could be starters uh, or were starters, but, He's, he didn't attack one position group as intensely as Mario's attacked the defensive line. And Mario's looking to add guys at a level uh, that can be impactful for his team. And maybe he, they're not elite, elite guys, but he knows can fit his system and could add to the, to the overall product. And I think by Mario attacking the portal the way he has and the way he's pre prepared this team for the upcoming season in the spring, I think that whole, you know, winning the Coastal thing like we used to talk about, hey, yeah. should they win the Coastal this year? Maybe they can. That's out the window. He's not even thinking about that. He knows he's going to win the Coastal at this point, the way he's coming at it. What he wants to do is win the ACC and get to the playoff. That's his goal year one. 
You could tell by the way he's building this team and plugging the holes and saying, all right, I've got a quarterback I can ride with. Where are the holes on this team? What can I do to fill those in and get me to the level where I can compete for a playoff spot? Now, it may not be at the Georgia level. It may not be at the Alabama level. But can he be this year's Michigan and get to that, you know, the final four? You know, maybe if he can beat Clemson. And Clemson, like we've said over the last few months, they aren't the Clemson of old because they have that hole at the quarterback position and they weren't running the ball like they have in the past this past season. So if there's ever a time to come at him, it's now. And if Mario can build his team, and like you're saying, we need that wide receiver one. If somebody could either develop or they plug somebody in there, I think the other stop that they need to make, the other position they need to fill is right tackle. And if they can get that done, then I think this team has a real shot. By the way, just from conversations I had with with a couple of individuals over the weekend, I think they want Jalen Rivers at left guard. and probably DJ Scaife inside a guard as well. But it all depends on Jan- John Campbell and where he is in his comeback and how healthy he's going to be and how, how and if he can stay healthy. Um, but I, you know, we'll, we'll see how the offensive line shapes up. But I, I think they're better um, than they were last year. I think the pass protection was much better um, in the spring game. And, you know, obviously running, running the ball, you know, run blocking is going to have to improve. But I liked a lot of what I saw in the spring from that, from that regard. All right, Absolutely. Carlos. Let's let's get to the mailbag because uh, I do want to get to this N- Nigel Pack interview. And I'm glad somebody in the mailbag immediately asked this question because I'd spent a long time Monday researching this. Um, this is from Andrew underscore 17. Um, he says, how many football players are on scholarship currently? How many do you expect to transfer? Do you expect them to go after any other players in the transfer portal, wide receiver and linebacker? Well, Andrew, um, we just talked about you know, their needs wide receiver linebacker. Yes. The gentry kid out of Arizona state, the freshman, all American, the athletic freshman, all American. Um, he is somebody that I know that they have, have, have tried to go after, or at least having conversations with initially wide receiver. Yes. I think, you know, they've got nine on scholarship right now um, by my count. Um, so I do expect um, them to definitely go after one more. Now I broke down the whole roster. Okay, and this is counting the guys that are at Miami and the guys who have left Miami and the guys that are set to come in to Miami. Okay, so right now, as I look at this, um, there are 75 players on campus right now, scholarship players. Now, the one thing I'm going to preface this by saying is um, there are guys I was told were basically finishing the spring semester as students and they will be gone by the summertime. Okay. Entering the transfer portal before May one, if they're going to play college football or just leaving and not being on scholarship anymore. So there's 75 do in. Okay. Do in among the uh, transfers and the, and the high school recruits that have not gotten here yet. Okay. Um, there are four quarterbacks, four running backs, eight, Eight wide receivers, five tight ends, 14 offensive linemen, seven defensive ends, six defensive tackles, 11 linebackers, eight cornerbacks, six safeties, and, and a punter and kicker on scholarship. That's your 75 at school. Do in. Uh, one running back, one wide receiver, three offensive linemen, one defensive end, three defensive tackles, um, one linebacker, three cornerbacks and a safety that that comes up to 14. You do the math. It's 89. They're at 89 right now. But again, we still don't have the exact number of how many guys are out. I was told there was at least four or five that didn't participate this spring. And you can look at the names of guys who 
you probably didn't hear a lot about. Easy to look up. Okay, guys that weren't involved at all, like uh, Isaiah Walker, for instance, the offensive lineman, was not around. Uh, Sam Brooks Jr., Tyler Johnson, uh, uh, not around. Um, So do the math. Um, Miami's right there close to the 85 scholarship limit when you when you start breaking those numbers down. Um, so there will be more. There will be more guys. I've, I was told there were some exit interviews that were not good. Some involving some players that are pretty good. OK, uh, guys who maybe didn't hear what they wanted to hear in terms of their yeah. future. He's, they're, they're being held accountable. Correct. Um, so, you know, there, there, there are going to be departures. We just haven't seen it yet. And, and, and the reason I'm not going to sit here and start saying, giving you the exact number is because it's hearsay. OK, and once these kids officially have their name in the transfer portal or once Miami officially pulls their name off the roster, then you can you can say it's official. OK. Uh, until that yeah, happens. Nice use, of, nice use of a legal term. I like that. You got yeah. me excited. Hearsay. <laughs> well, I, I just, I'll just say like they're, they're, they're right now at 89 legally. It's going to, it's really more like 84 probably. Um, and they've got an opening and a need for a wide receiver and a linebacker. So they're, so, you know, I, I think they're right there with, with their number. Um, and then as far as, you know, names of wide receivers and all that, I, I don't really, I'll put it to you this way. There are guys out there that most of us don't even know about that are probably going to enter the transfer portal before May 1. Okay. You know what I'm going to do? Let me, let me Google right now who UCLA's uh, top receiver was last year, (laughs) because apparently that's where we go shopping. (laughs) So let me go check UCLA's football stats and see what their top receiver is. So I can just call it right now and say it was him. It's going to be him. All right. Um, This is from Steven Thunder, 56 B L A X. I can. Uh, what's it like being the only Manny that matters at the, U now? Oh man. Um, I don't know that I matter really. I'm just a guy who, who's around the team. Uh, Manny Diaz actually mattered cause he was a coach, but I appreciate the question and the love. It's nice to feel, you know, asking people asking me for autographs. Is, is Amir and guys like they're, they're much more gracious with you in the off season. They are. Reason. They hate me during the season. All right. This is from OVW Minority Majority. Where do you rank this staff in comparison to Howard, JJ, Erickson, and Butch Davis's staffs? I think the only staff that's better is JJ staff. And, and that's that, because they ended up being better. Um, and right. the staff is already established, which is, is a big difference from those staffs in the past because there were guys that were up and coming in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys have already proven themselves other places. So it's interesting that this is a, a sort of dichotomy. But yeah, overall, right now, I would say that JJ staff was was pretty incredible. You talk about Dave Wanstad and so many other names that are on there of, of guys who became eventual NFL head coaches um, or or coordinators, etc. Butch was obviously on that staff uh, with JJ. I, I think yeah, the JJ staff until proven otherwise, uh, until these guys win a national championship. <laughs> Mario I mean, staff. JJ had he had uh, Tommy Tupperville as a GA. He had Ed Orgeron. I mean, those are two head coaches, former head coaches in the SEC. Um, he, he had a bunch of guys, man. He had, like you said, Wansad, he had Butch, he had a bunch of guys. Um, this is from David Engelson on Twitter, David underscore Engelson. Prior to Cristobal's arrival, it was intimated that the Moss brothers were going to be heavily involved organizing their own NIL arrangement, but it has been crickets so far. Thankfully, John Ruiz and the Ruiz family and Dan Lambert have filled their void. And I, any NIL updates? Um, well, I know this. I know the Moss brothers. One of them obviously is on the UN Board of Trustees. Okay. And 
it's hard for him to be involved in NIL. It's a conflict of interest uh, with the university uh, because right now state laws sort of prohibit um, the universities participating uh, in, in getting in yeah, having direct on, involvement, right? In, direct in involvement the, uh, process. So, uh, and his, his other brother who I've reached out to in the past, obviously he helped in his own ways. Um, soccer stadium, right? The game, the spring game was played there. Um, and I know there's other ways that he's helped, but I, I don't know specifics of what it is that he's doing as far as the NIL front. I, I just know that the Moss brothers are involved in helping UM's leadership. I know that they've given money, um, but from an NIL front uh, right now, they're just not, I don't, I don't know that there's anything concrete that I can report to you. Um, all right. With the May one portal deadline approaching, who is, are the staff members responsible for monitoring and scouting names as they enter the portal to determine who the coaching staff wants to pursue. Also, which recruits do you get the sense may commit as we head into the summer? This is from Brandon BC Mantilla on Twitter. Good questions there. Um, look, they hired some staffers and I, I mentioned the kid's name. He came from Michigan state. Um, and, and for whatever reason, I'm blanking now on his name uh, because I got too many names in my head. Um, but there are guys on the staff that obviously monitor the portal. Um, and, and there's obviously a lot of conversations that are had, uh, you know, people today call it tampering. I call it modern college football. Uh, where where conversations are had uh, between high school coaches and representatives and players, players themselves recruit each other. Okay, I mean they they have relationships. This is like the NBA. I mean they don't call it tampering in the NBA when players get involved. It's when front offices and so forth get involved. So there is a lot of conversation um, between players um, as far as monitoring and who who might enter the portal. Um, and then as far as uh, which recruits do you get the sense may commit as we head into the summer? Well, I mean, there's a couple local kids. Uh, I think Jalen Brown, the receiver out of Miami Gulliver prep is a guy that he has a good relationship um, with Miami's offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis. Um, and I think he's, he's a guy you could potentially see. I think Ruben Bain, uh, the defensive lineman out of Miami central, he's got family members on staff at Miami Um you know, the Bain family is very much tied into Miami. I think those are two guys uh, that potentially we see here in the weeks and months ahead. But I haven't paid enough attention to it. I feel like the transfer portal is the much bigger issue these days. Carlos, am I wrong? Not at all, especially not, not the way Mario's attacking. So I think right now his focus has been on plugging the final holes coming into the season. And I think once he's done with that, once this transfer season essentially is over, then he can move on to really focusing on the high school recruits. Not that he's not, uh, but really attacking it even harder because what he's looking at right now is, hey, I've got to have the best season possible because these guys are going to want to see results, right? It's not just going to be hype. They want to see me get wins on the field. So I've got to guarantee myself a team that's good enough to get to 10 wins so I could push this thing forward in the recruiting. So I think that's what he's focusing in on right now with the transfer portal. And once he's done with that, he's just going to hammer away on the uh, the high school recruits. And, and I don't get too caught up in, in the high school recruiting this early in the process because, A, all of these kids are going to be doing summer visits, okay, official visits. Um, and then come the middle of the season, they're going to see who's doing well, right, which teams are succeeding. We're going to see which coaches leave. The reality is I, I don't seriously pay attention to recruiting, and I know this sounds terrible, until November. Now, I'll report on it, and I'll write about it, and I'll say when somebody commits, but – I don't honestly take it seriously until we get to the nitty gritty, which is the middle of December when guys 
are, are early committing and, and coaches are leaving after the season, et cetera. Um, all of that affects things so much. But, um, you know, I think to this point, Miami, as I said on the last podcast with you, uh, there were so many kids that left that spring game with a smile on their face. I think Miami's in a great position with a lot of elite recruits. Now they just got to go win on the field to bring them in. Um, all right. This is from Rodney King. 06. Uh, I don't think he's that Rodney. Um, no, what was your record prediction during spring practice? And did it change after all the new additions transfers? Good question, Rodney. Um, I always base my predictions on what the opponents look like um, and how good they are this early. You know, who do I see as somebody that is a serious threat to beating Miami? I felt after my uh, initial evaluation before spring began nationwide that Texas A&M, Clemson, and Pittsburgh are the three tough opponents that are that are going to be pivotal to this season being great or just being okay. And there's still the only three teams I think can beat Miami. Uh, I think Miami can beat itself against other opponents, but as yeah. far as teams that could beat Miami because they have equal or better talent, um, I think all three of those teams. So right now I would say nine to ten wins is my prediction. Um, as we get closer to the season and we see who else gets transfers and what injuries play a role, et cetera. Um, I'll, I'll give you my other one right before the season starts. But for right now, I would say nine to 10 wins is what I think this team is capable with Tyler Van Dyke coming back and with what their opponents have on, on the field. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other team I'm throwing there is, is Florida state, just because as you said, they may not have the talent, but in a rivalry game, you could find ways to beat yourself, kind of like Miami did last year. So uh, I know they're going to want to get that win. I know they're going to want to pay back for f- falling on their face on fourth and 14. But, uh, you know, you never know. It's a rivalry game, and that could always be a tough one. Um, this is from Junior Pierre Lewis on Twitter. Right now, Mario is killing it in recruiting, roster management, and staff upgrades. I would ask Mario what can he improve within himself when it comes to game day management decisions. I've seen coaches with good players lose games because of bad decisions within a game. I think well, that's where that staff comes in. Yeah, I think that's where guys like Josh Gaddis and, and Kevin Steele and Charlie Strong and guys that have been in the fire and played in big games, um, you hope that they have a positive influence on Mario. I think, you know, he gets knocked for losing some games that he shouldn't have lost. Um, I, I didn't think there was any shame in losing to Utah last year. I think Utah has been a good program for a while. They've had an excellent defense for a while. Yeah. The Stanford loss was more I, the, the one. Yeah. That was the one that stuck out like a sore thumb, but he, Mario didn't have a quarterback like he does now at Miami. So, um, I, and again, I, I mean, talking about in-game decisions, I think yeah. you, you look at the best and most successful people in any industry and they surround themselves with the best people possible. They can head the ship. They make the final decisions. But you want people underneath you that can help steer the ship, that can guide you, that you can turn to in situations and say, hey, what do you think? What's this answer? What? And then you yourself make the final decision on it. I think the better when you improve the quality of the coaches and their experience level that are around you, your coaching is going to be elevated as a whole because they're providing you with their experience. They're giving you, um, you know, their their, their background, what they've been through, and if they've been in similar situations telling you how it's played out. So they're not just yes-men. They're sounding boards that will challenge you and challenge your thought process and make you grow at the same time. And I think that's going to help Mario grow as a coach as well. All right. Um, this is from Matt Reed. Matt Reed News. Do you have any? Anything- Matt Reeves that, that wrote and directed the Batman because I don't like this new Batman and I want to I <laughs> word with that guy. 
<laughs> no, this is Matt Reed. D- all right. Reed. Good, good. Because I was about to go on a rant about, uh, you know, emo Batman being all gothic and looking like he has a garage band with hair in his face, painted nails and listening to Nirvana all night. So that's that's my rant. I'm done with it. <laughs> I, I like the new Batman. In fact, they're doing a sequel, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, um, I saw it. Also, I, I, I shut down the computer immediately when I saw it. Do you have any concerns over how successful Miami players have been when it comes to NIL? Assuming everything is legal, it worries me that if the NCAA is looking to rein in this new age of college football, they will once again use Miami to set an example. Um, I don't think I agree. While Miami has always been a school that seems to be targeted, right, by the NCAA, it certainly feels that way when we know that SEC schools for years that way. Seems. <laughs> it seems like for years the SEC got away with it, right? It seems like it. I say seems because, right, legally, that's what I have to say. You've got to be politically correct. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, what, what I'll say about this is I don't think Miami is going to be used as the example. And I, and I think that's because at this point in the game, um, the compliance office is the one clearing everything. Like all of these deals are cleared by Miami's compliance office. So unless... Like unless they're really screwing up, okay, and unless they're completely over overlooking things that they shouldn't be overlooking, I, I don't see how the NCAA regulates this or changes anything that's happening. Because there's just like you said earlier, there's no rules in place. So the fact that there's a checks and balances system and Miami's compliance office has to look at all of these deals that are being done to make sure that they're legal. And and to this point, there's been nothing. Um, outside of a Sportico report, right, saying the NCAA was looking at Miami uh, and, and a couple of us, I think BYU was the other one. Um, I, I just, I don't think anything's real. I don't think any of this is, is in terms of being a problem. I don't see that being a problem right now. So here's a few points. Number one, if, if there is a violation, it would only be a violation of state law, right? Because the state law states that no direct payments can come from the university itself. So the NCAA's investigation would not trigger anything unless the state wants to get involved and you know pursue something for the University of Miami violating their laws and their rules that they've established as it relates to NIL. Number two, the NCAA is not going to want it with Miami because let me tell you something, John Ruiz wants all that smoke, okay? That dude is a lawyer. He's been preparing for this moment. He's itching. He's got an itchy trigger finger, and he's dying for the NCAA to file some sort of complaint against the University of Miami and try to file some sort of sanction against the school so he could just unload on them. And he's going to have a team of lawyers ready to go and, and itching and have blood in their mouth ready to take on the NCA and destroy them. So I think that's also why the NCA is backing off. And I think the third point about this question is it's so crazy, the PTSD that we deal with as Hurricane fans, because we finally have some good shit going on. We finally see the, the boat being righted. And then we're always feeling like, okay, where's the cliff? When are we going to fall off? When is the investigation? When are the sanctions coming? Because it can't be this good again. Hey, I gave it a few months before I reported on Ruiz anything, any story for this reason, because I, I was skeptical. You, yeah. I was skeptical. I've said that multiple times. At this point, I'm of the opinion that if there was, Rudy Fernandez and everybody would have stopped this a while ago. So yeah, exactly. I mean, it's always it's always a little scary when a guy jumps onto onto <laughs> onto the scene out of nowhere and starts acting like the Cuban Monopoly guy, just handing out bills everywhere. Like, hey, here you get an NIL, you get an NIL. We got we have the Cuban Oprah down here just handing out checks. And by the way, where's mine, John? I want to check too. Come on. All right. This is, uh, oh, we got two left here. Then we're going to, we're going to wrap this thing up. Um, your boy, <laughs> Steven Thunder. I saw the interaction here between you two. Uh, this question is from Kat 0985093. There you go, Kat. I gave you a shout out. Is Sam Brooks still on the team? 
Here's how I'm going to answer that question, because I did answer it earlier in this podcast. He's still on the roster that's on the website, but I don't think he's on the team anymore. No. Um, and then the last one from your boy, 56 Blacksican, <laughs> Stephen <laughs> Thunder. Is it true you have the turnover chain and Lato has the uh, touchdown rings? I know you answered this already on Twitter, so you can you can answer this one. Yeah, I basically said that I have both the rings and the chain, and I sent him a gif of, uh, you know, balling from Jim. I forgot the name uh, from Dipset. There you go. Um, yeah, so th- that's it. That's those. That's our mailbag for tonight. I, I just wanted to get together and talk a little football and NIL because I know that's the hot topic. Everybody wants to hear it. Um, and let's go heat going on to the second round. That's right. They held ice trade. Uh, what is it? 30, po- uh, 30 field goals and, and 30 turnovers or whatever it was. It was pretty, ri- pretty ridiculous stat there. <laughs> ice trade missed more field goals during the course of this series and bubble backs. <laughs> Carlos, always fun chatting with you. Make sure you stick around and listen to my interview with Nigel pack 18 minutes. Come on, Miami basketball fans. You want to listen to it. I know you do. No relation to Robert Pack, right? From the nope. from the Nuggets back in the day. No relation to Robert Pack, to my knowledge, and I, that's probably something I should have asked him. But no, not that I'm aware of from from reading Nigel Pack stories that he's related to Robert Pack. All right, that wraps it up. Uh, make sure you stick around for that Nigel Pack interview, Carlos. Thanks again, brother. We'll uh, we'll reconvene next week. Peace. Usually we talk football on this show, but such a big story nationally on the basketball front for the University of Miami last week, picking up the top transfer in the country in Nigel Pack out of Kansas State. Phenomenal point guard, average. Let me look at his numbers here because I had him up on my board, but I had, uh, what is it, 17 points, uh, four rebounds, two assists, uh, over a steal a game, shot 45% from the field, 43, almost 44% from three-point range last year for Kansas State. And Jim Laranega coming off of that huge run to the Elite Eight needs help. He's, he's lost three really good starters. Uh, potentially Isaiah Wong could end up going in uh, the draft this year as well. He just entered his name today, earlier today. Uh, could come back to school as well. Um, but I thought, you know, we got this golden opportunity here to speak to Nigel Pack. And uh, I, I think we got to talk hoops first and foremost on this episode anyway. Nigel, welcome to the uh, Wide Right Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I want to dig into the big story everybody's talking about, which is the NIL deal, right? I mean, as soon as you signed, everybody was like, oh, my God, look at how much money Miami got them for. And this is bad for college sports and, and, you know, all this sort of negativity. Uh, But they don't realize, like, NIL is legal. You're allowed to do this kind of stuff now. And and I think all the old... All the old school cats, man, like they just they can't get over that kind of stuff. You pick Miami over Ohio State and Purdue. When I talked to your NIL rep, Adam from uh, Next Sports, he said, look, the money's nice, but it really had nothing to do with the basketball decision to pick in Miami. In your own words, how big of a motivator was the NIL? And ultimately, why did you pick Miami? I mean, obviously, the money's nice, of course, but that definitely wasn't something, you know, that was in my, my top three of picking Miami. I mean, I had like a top five things of what I wanted to see out of a school. Um, and I, NIL was like four or five. I think it was four, exactly. Um, so it definitely wasn't the top contender. Um, there's a lot of other things I was looking for and looking for out of a school. Um, and Miami just started checking all those boxes. And then the, the NIL was nice as well. Thank you to my guys, Adam and Austin at uh, Next Up Sports for, for working everything out for me. But there's a lot of different factors that came into play about picking Miami. Let, let's just put those to bed. I mean, uh, Larinaga needs a point guard. You're an elite point guard. Can you talk about that from a basketball decision? Just uh, why why Miami, the three factors that you mentioned, what were they? One, two, three. 
I mean, the first reason why I chose Miami, I mean, I wanted to be a true point guard. And, you know, coming off, coming from Kansas State, playing the two majority of the year um, and doing this NBA process, I, I learned that, you know, the NBA teams want to see me, you know, play the one, be a point guard, show with my size that I can run a team. Um, I get my teammates involved and I also can score. So that's what I was looking for majority and my number one reasoning for transferring and, you know, looking uh, for schools. And I was, that's what I was looking for. And Miami, you know, had the great reputation of letting their guards play, um, letting, letting them shine. And, you know what I'm saying? Talking with Coach L, I mean, that's what he's seen that, you know, he's seen out of me um, coming to Miami this year. That's my number one reasoning for, for choosing Miami. Um, secondly, I want to join a winning team. Obviously, so they just proven that coming off an elite eight year is really good. Uh, a lot of talent returning, a lot of talent coming in. Um, I feel like we can we can do a lot better, um, you know, with, with these group of guys, especially with their experience that they had last year. They can teach, you know, some of us guys that haven't made it, and I think we can, we can do even better. And then lastly, I mean, academic-wise, I wanted to make sure I was getting a great education. You know, my education would be able to take me further in life than, than, than this basketball stuff. Um, so I want to make sure I was getting, you know, my education in the right place that has, you know, great academics, um, and that can take me on for the rest of my life. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I was looking at some of the highlights on your bio at, at Kansas State, and they, and they put academics there quite a bit. You know, all big uh, 12 rookie team, academic, um, commissioner's honor roll. So you, you, I'm guessing you've been a good student probably most of your life, no? And, and, and what, do you, what do you hope to study at Miami as, you know, I know basketball is plan A, but plan B and, and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, been, been on schools and the books my whole life. My parents have been installing at me since I was a young age to make sure I get my education and make sure to take it very seriously. I've been definitely taking that seriously my whole life. But when I get to Miami, I plan on either studying finance and accounting in the business aspect or going into sports management, something like that. And, and just getting back to the NIL for a second, you know, uh, $400,000, that was the reported amount from, from Mr. Ruiz. I know everybody talks about that number, but in the grand scheme of things, you make the NBA, that's going to be the smaller end. But that money as a college student, to be able to, to have that in your life, you know, to know that that's there for you. Think about all the other guys that came before you didn't have those kind of opportunities. I mean, obviously, it's definitely a blessing. Forever grateful for, the, for this opportunity, but definitely can't get, you know, too happy about just a little success. I mean, obviously, a lot of hard work has been put in um, until today, but it's definitely, you know, a great feeling to see, you know, all the hard work and all the extra times of getting in the gym and getting shots up to see that it's finally paying off and, and to see how much somebody thinks I'm worth. You know, it definitely feels really, really good. But, I mean, obviously, if you make the next level, um, the money gets even gets even higher. So, I mean, obviously, there's still a lot of work to do, um, but def- definitely forever grateful for, for the opportunity um, to work with John this year and, you know, do some special things. I know you're training in Atlanta, as you mentioned, uh, getting feedback uh, from teams, et cetera. What are they telling you as far as what maybe you need to improve on? It's one thing to play point guard, and you know I'm sure you could do that pretty easily. Uh, that's what you naturally do. But any parts of your game that they say, hey, we want to see more of this or, or, or see a little bit of improvement there, what are you sort of self-scouting and saying to yourself, these are areas I want to improve? I mean, obviously myself, I can, I, you know, playing the two a lot this year, just been kind of taught like, hey, score this, score this. And then when, when there was opportunities to pass, but I would pass the ball. But th- this year, I definitely want to, you know, show more of my game, my versatility of being able to score, being able to create, being able to throw lobs, being able to throw dimes, things like that. Just being able to show that, you know, scoring is just not my only ability, but passing as well. Playing defense, just a whole bunch of things, just stepping up my level from, from you know, making a lot of improvement from my freshman year to my sophomore year. And then making another big jump from sophomore to junior year. Just going to take a lot of work, but I believe in myself and my coaches believe in me. 
and my teammates as well. So I'm excited for it. Tell us about uh, growing up in the Midwest, born in Wisconsin, played high school ball, obviously in Indianapolis, uh, two, you know, siblings, Ben and Angelica, your parents, your family roots. Tell us about all that stuff. I mean, it was great growing up as the youngest child. I mean, they say I was the most spoiled one, but I feel like my dad was definitely the hardest on me. Um, but I'm forever grateful for that because without, you know, him pushing me and my, my parents pushing me, I wouldn't be in this position today. Um, but having an older brother that played basketball, um, you know, always gave you that, you know, that older person to play with, you know, God always got you better playing with other people always get you better. So forever grateful for that. Um, but you know, me and my family are always close still today. So, I mean, I'm excited. Um, excited to have them come to, you know, Miami games this year. Uh, they enjoy the warm weather, especially as they're there, but just really excited for this year. How old were you when uh, they first put a bo- uh, basketball in your hands? And then, you know, when did you start playing com- competitively? Uh, I think I was about four or five years old when they when they started teaching me to play basketball. Uh, my brother is nine years older than me. So um, him playing basketball, he was probably maybe about to be in middle school. And I'm just now starting with a basketball. So him playing all the time, he used to just want me to play. I just wanted to play all the time. So, um, you know, being at four or five, I started playing. Uh, I had older cousins that I used to play on the same team with just because I, I always wanted to play with somebody that I knew. Um, so I used to play up at a young age, and I think that's what helped me become, you know, get really good. Who are your biggest influences, favorite players, teams, anybody that you still study today or, or, or kind of uh, look at and say, man, that, that's, that's just a great basketball player. I want to be like him. I mean, man, there's so many guys that's, that's so great in this league today. I mean, it's a lot of young talent that I'm watching and taking bits and pieces probably from – from everybody. I mean, there's so many like point guards like John Morant. There's there's smaller guards like Fred Van Vliet that I'm taking stuff from. There's there's guards like Steph Curry who shoots the ball unbelievable that I, I take stuff from. So I mean, there's not really just one person. I mean, obviously my favorite player is LeBron James, but that doesn't, you know, really translate into my game. So I take just bits and pieces from a lot of point guards and a lot of different things from people in the league. Who who are your favorite sports teams? I know uh obviously the NBA, you gotta be a fan of a lot of different ones. Uh, because they'll all be looking to draft you. But uh, curious in sports, are you a big sports fan? You know, Super Bowl Sunday uh, playoffs. Are you? What, what do you do when you when you've got a free minute to watch sports? Um, favorite NFL team is the Packers. He's been an Aaron Rodgers fan, uh, so you know, been rooting for them for a minute, hoping and praying for for a championship for a while. But I mean, um, on the NBA side, I've always been a LeBron fan. So wherever LeBron goes, I've been going uh, for for a long time now. So. I, I can't say I have a special team in the, in the league because I just follow LeBron all the time. So yeah, yeah. But you, but you now you're following him to South Beach, kind of the same way he came here, and he talked about coming here to win championships, right? <laughs> and and learn, and in a way, that's that's kind of a little little parallel, right? <laughs> yeah, it is actually coming out of high school. It says you uh you visited Belmont, Rice, Kansas State, and I think Iowa unofficially. Nice programs, but not exactly Duke, UCLA, North Carolina, Kansas, and the and the kings of college basketball. What did all those schools, those blue blood programs, miss on you the first time around? You think? I mean, you know, being kind of under under recruiting with my size, it was kind of a hit or miss. They were thinking with me, um, being a smaller point guard, they're like, "Hey, what can we get out of this kid? What can he really do?" Um, and Kansas State took that chance on me, um, and I'm really grateful for everything that you know they given me and all the opportunities they gave me for my two years there. Um, they really, you know, helped me develop as a player and show everything I can do. I just feel like, you know, hey, everything happened for a reason. Um, they didn't take their chance for me then. Um, Kansas State was the best option. I was able to do do what I do best. Um, and I was really be able to get my name out there for those first two years. And now I'm really excited, you know, to be able to come to Miami and do something special there and win, win some games, win some championships, and do something really special.
Yeah, let's talk about Miami for a minute. What was that official visit like? Uh, what did you do? Who did you talk to? How many days were you here? It, just impressions. What was that? What was the whole experience sort of like? I mean, yeah, it was a great, great visit. Um, I think I came down, or it was a Saturday. I think it was a Saturday morning I came down. I think it was the end of No Chad's visit, so I got to talk to him a little bit. Got to hang out with the guys, talk to them a little bit. Got to speak in some of their minds. I mean, obviously, ate some nice restaurants. Um, got to see kind of the, the city of Miami and um, got to see campus a lot, you know, how, how it feels. You know, the weather was obviously beautiful. Um, and then, you know, the second day, obviously, I had to, you know, got to really deep down inside and got to watch some, like, workouts from, from Charlie Moore. He was working out um, and seeing how, like, how, how detailed they are with, you know, the work ethics and um, how, how they plan on me getting better and who I can work out with to get better. So, I mean, obviously, that was a great, great thing to see. I mean, obviously, it was a great visit, and that's why kind of why I chose it. So, I mean, I got the feeling of um, the warm weather, the, the the nice facility, the somewhere I could play at and see myself at. And that's kind of got what I've seen when I went on that visit. So I really enjoyed it and really liked it, and especially the connection I made with the guys that quickly. I mean, that's something that, you know, it usually takes time to build a connection with, but I feel like we built it in about a day is really how long I was really there for. So about a day. A big piece of this could be uh, Isaiah Wong. Uh, I know he signed an NIL deal with Life Wallet as well. John mm-hmm. Ruiz tells me he thinks there's a 90, 90% chance he's coming back, but he did enter his name into the draft. Did you did you talk to Isaiah at all? And what do you, if he does come back, what do you think the two of you could do together in the backcourt? Yeah, I've talked to Isaiah just a little bit. I mean, I got his information and his number and all that stuff yesterday. Obviously really excited for you know him to be able to go put his name in the draft. I mean, that's every... Every basketball player's dream to be able to have this opportunity. So, especially excited for him. Uh, if he makes it, great. Um, if he does it, great as well. Uh, we get to come back and have a you know really good backcourt or good frontcourt, as they would say. I really think you know him um, coming back would you know be really exceptional for this team to take us to the next level. But if he, he definitely gets drafted, I mean, who blames him? I mean, that's everybody's dream yeah. to get drafted and make it to the NBA. So, obviously, going to be happy for him if he, he can make it his dream and make it to the NBA. So. But if not, um, he's going to come back. He definitely, you know, help us next year uh, with his leadership and his his experience. I think that'd be really key for us. Yeah, we know for sure Jordan Miller's coming back. What did Coach Larinaga sort of tell you expectations wise? And and when you guys sat down and broke down the roster, what he what he wants you to do for him? I mean, obviously, he told me he wants me to run the show. Um, being at the point guard, I mean, he says there's a lot of trust and a lot of responsibilities, as he would say, a lot of responsibilities in our in our one guard. And I'm ready for that. I mean, I'm ready for the responsibility, you know, to run the team, get get guys open. Just, just going to take time to, you know, as the summer comes along, take time to learn, you know, what each guy likes, what each guy likes doing, um, whether they like shooting, whether they like diving, whether they like the ball high, whether they like the ball low. Like things like that, it's just going to take time to learn each guy. But by the time season comes, I just have everything down packed. We're, you know, we're clicking on all cylinders, which would be really great. Yeah. You mentioned talking to Charlie Moore. He, you know, he came in, he played all over the place before he came to Miami. You played in a great right. conference. What what advice did he give you about the ACC and, and this team? I mean, he said, hey, if, if you put the work in, um, it's a great conference. Obviously, you're going to play a lot of good teams. Um, Duke, North Carolina, I mean, those are obviously two schools that are, you know, really good in that conference that a lot of people know about. Um, but he said, if, if you put in the work and you show it, Coach Coach L will give you the keys to, to, the, to the car and he'll let you drive it. So, I mean, obviously, I'm definitely, you know, been my whole life been a worker. Nothing's going to change just because of the location or just because anything else. They're going to work hard. Very excited, you know, just to get, get with my guys and, and get going and get, win some games. How much have you already started uh, studying up on, on the conference or any of those teams? Or when do you sort of dive into that? I've already started. I've watched, I at least watched the game so far. 
Um, I think I watched the Miami versus Duke at Duke. I watched that game the other day. Just breaking down, you know, the differences of the conferences, how Miami plays. And that's something that I did, you know, when I was actually, before I even made a pick, was, you know, watching the games and see how, you know, each team played and where I could see myself at. I mean, I kind of did. I was kind of interested to see, like, hey, how does – they say he lets his guards go, but how does he really let his guards go in the flow of a game? Mm-hmm. So I kind of went back, and I know I watched a little bit of them when they played um, in, the, in the tournament, especially against Auburn. But I wanted to go back and watch it for myself as I studied the game to see, you know, how exactly does he let them go? What do they do? What their offense looks like? How do they get up and down? Things like that. Just something I need to study for and see, you know, could I see myself fitting in that? What's a uh, typical off-season day like for you? What time do you get in the gym? How many shots do you put up? How long are you in the weight room? What's that, what's that regiment like for you? Uh, especially right now, it's pretty busy. Um, just depending on the day, depends on what time we wake up. Uh, just because we're working out a pretty busy facility. Um, but the earliest I woke up, I mean, we had a workout last week at 6 a.m. So last week we woke up at like 5, 5.05, 5.10. We had to walk over to the facility, which is about five, six-minute walk. So we got there about 20 minutes early, quick stretch and warm up uh, from about 6 to 7.15, 7.30. Did a workout. Then after that, straight into the weight room where we, we lifted for about another hour. So we were out at least by nine o'clock. After that, you know, quick nap. I think I slept from about 9.30 to about 11.30, 12. Um, after that, I had to get schoolwork in because I still have to, you know, make sure I get my grades and finish up strong at this. I think I did that to about 3 or 2.30, something like that. And then um, I had time to chill from then. I had a little chill time, and then we had another workout about 5.00. Five six, and I think that was another hour, hour fifteen, and then after that, just more time to, to, to relax and chill out. What do you do on the on the free time when when you're not hooping? What do you? Uh, is there any anything? We talk sports already, but is there anything you like to do? Fishing or wildlife or any? You know what? What is? What are the hobbies outside of uh, sports for uh, for Nigel Pack? I mean, obviously, uh, basketball is number one, but I like to play video games. Um, so I, I play video games pretty often in my free time, especially when I don't feel like leaving the house, playing a video game, uh, watching a show or, or a series, uh, watching the NBA, especially the playoffs. And if I'm not, I'm outside. I'm hanging with friends. I mean, pretty open to doing things, um, going to the mall, going shopping, hanging with friends, just chilling. I mean, things like that. I mean, I'm pretty open to a lot of stuff and trying new stuff. Not really a big fishing fan, though. I, I don't like the, the boat stuff. Kind of makes me sick, but hey, anything <laughs> other than that, I'm, I'm pretty open to doing. I, I was going to say, they, they're probably going to try to get you to do some of that stuff when you come down uh, in the summertime here, uh, Mr. Ruiz with his boat and uh, and all the other uh, uh, big Canes uh, fans. I mean, that's what uh, they're always on boats down here or at the beach. So I'm sure you'll you'll probably they'll probably try to get you on a boat at least once. Yeah, hopefully I don't get sick. Last time I had a bad experience with boats, but hey, <laughs> I'm open to trying stuff, though. Yeah. All right. So let's do quick rapid fire just for the fans to get to know you a, a little bit better. You mentioned video games. What's the game that uh, that you're addicted to? Call of Duty or Fortnite. All right. And how good are you at it? Oh, uh, if I had to do it for, for professionally, I would be uh, very, very bad at it. So, I mean, I just play for fun, but um, I wouldn't say I, I could carry anybody to a victory. So favorite TV show uh, series. I do Ozark on Netflix. Favorite food. Food. Uh, I'm a burger guy. You know, somebody wanted to buy you a burger for lunch. What what, do you, what are you asking for? Uh, I keep it simple, just cheese, mayonnaise, ketchup. Do you have a sweet tooth? And, and if you and if you do, what is uh, the dessert of choice for Nigel Pack? Oh man, sweet tooth, terribly. 
I'll go from ice cream to carrot cake to, to uh, cookies, anything, chocolate chip cookies. So pretty, pretty all over the place with, with anything sweet. But ice cream is definitely my go to. I hope uh, I hope our listeners have enjoyed this interview. Nigel, you were great. I really appreciate all the time you gave me, man. Any any message for Miami fans as we uh, wrap this up? Oh, man, just very excited to get down there. Um, hopefully see, you know, all the Miami fans at the games next year. Um, excited to get this thing going. Um, it's going to be a really fun year. Wish you the best of luck, Nigel, and look forward to, to meeting you when you come down. Thank you. Appreciate it.